Hey, we want to celebrate uh, some a uh, couple uh, 50 years of marriage today. Gabe and Martha Luba, 50 years this week. If you'd just give them a, a round of applause. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for uh, Gabe, and we thank you for Martha, and we thank you for their years of marriage, five decades of commitment to each other for better or worse, richer or poor, sickness and in health. We thank you, Father, the example that they give us as a church, and we pray, Lord, that we will follow their example. We thank you, Father, for the work that you do in our lives. We thank you for the fact that you love us, that you have something to say to us today through your word, and we pray that you would speak to us very clearly as only you can do. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different stuff this week. Some here have had a great week. Others have had the worst week of their life. And we come here, Father, to hear from you. So meet us right where we are, and we know you will. Be with us in Christ's name. Amen. So every year, 2.2 million couples stand and and face each other, and in a solemn moment, often with tears in their eyes, they say uh, vows similar to this, I take you to be my wedded husband or wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, forsaking all others until death us do part. Those are pretty serious vows, aren't they? And they're given voluntarily. No one makes you say those vows. But the statistics are these. 50% won't make it to the death us do part part. One-third of divorces will occur within the first five years of marriage with the largest percentage of that in the first three years of marriage. And divorce takes its toll on the family. So we've been uh, going through this series called Family Under Attack. And our purpose is this. One, we want to know what the Bible says regarding marriage and family. And the one thing that we've been talking about is this. Marriage is not the government's issue. Marriage is not the Supreme Court's decision. Marriage is not um, what uh, what the educational system puts forth. The success or failure of our marriages will depend upon us. We need to know what the Bible says about family and relationships and We need to personally apply what we know to our heart. Because if we don't apply it to our heart, it's all head knowledge. So what does the Bible say and how do we apply it? We've been doing some uh, devotionals. We don't want this to be just a weekend uh, series. So we've been doing some devotionals. You can get them in your inbox every every morning. Uh, We're doing a series on the radio now, Tunchokin and I, Biblical Manhood Series. We encourage you to listen to that either on the web or on the radio. And we put together this little booklet that you can get at our website, or you can get in the bookstore. You can get it uh, in digital form as well. Because we want to make sure we all understand and have the resources to make our, our marriages work. We have talked to this point about the five essentials of marriage. 
Last time, we talked about the five essentials of sexuality. Uh, by the way, I've gotten a lot of thank you emails from men uh, this week. Unfortunately, they just heard the 48 to 72 hour thing. Um, and if you don't get that, you can just uh, watch that on the web. Today, we're going to talk about five biblical truths regarding divorce. My purpose is this. If you're in a committed relationship, we, we just want to encourage that. And we want you to be committed, to continue to be committed to that relationship. If you are contemplating divorce or you're separated right now, we want to encourage you to make the thing work. And I know some of you have been divorced. Some of you have initiated it. For others, uh, it's, the, it's the last thing you ever wanted. And some of you are still in recovery. My purpose is not to, to rub sanctimonious salt into your emotional wounds. But I just want us to look at the big picture of marriage. Let's commit our marriages to last. And in the end, I want to talk to, to those of you who have, who have been divorced. All right, so five biblical truths about divorce. Here's the first one. Marriage is not about you. Marriage is not about you as a husband. Marriage is not about you as a wife. Marriage is bigger than you are. Marriage is about God himself. In the discussion regarding divorce, we have to begin with the big vision, the big picture of marriage. Because we have shrunken the ideal of marriage down to our happiness and satisfaction. And certainly happiness and satisfaction are great in results, great products, desired outcomes. But marriage is bigger than you are, and it's bigger than your happiness, and it's bigger than my happiness. Marriage is about God. Turn to uh, Exodus. Someone agreed uh, with that. Uh, turn to Exodus chapter 2, verse 18. Chapter 2, 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now, to this point in creation, God had uh, created the, the uh, heavens and the earth, and he said all is, was good. In fact, he says in uh, Genesis chapter 131, God said all he had made was very good. And now he looks at the man, the man alone, and he says it's not good for the man to be alone. Man's aloneness was not appropriately fitting the purpose of God's creation. Man's aloneness did not fit into God's ultimate plan for Adam. Alone, Adam could not do the things that God wanted him to do. And so God said, I will make a helper suitable for him. By the way, that word helper is in no way a demeaning term. Most of the time, it's used to describe God himself. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word bathos is used, the word physician. The word helper means one who comes to the aid of another, one who provides what is lacking, one who brings the remedy. So think about it. God intentionally created man in a way that he needed help. Now, women, you've known that for a long time. Men need help. And God said, I will make a helper suitable for him, one who corresponds 
to him. One who completes what is lacking. So what the man lacked, the woman supplied. What the woman lacked, the man supplied. Together, they could do things they could never do by themselves. So here's the deal. We were made as individuals to demonstrate the glory of God. And you don't have to be married to do that. But when God brings a man and a woman together, we can demonstrate God's glory together in a way we could never do alone. See, the ultimate purpose of marriage is to bring glory to God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. The ultimate purpose of marriage is to bring glory to God together in a way you could never do on your own. So here's the question. What did God put you together to do? What what did God bring you to do together that you can't do alone? Just like every person has a unique fingerprint, so every couple has a unique marriage print. Marriage is bigger than us. Marriage is more than just being happy. Marriage is this this great adventure, this mission that God has put us on. And, And for people who will focus on happiness, that becomes selfish and damaging and sometimes destructive to a marriage. Because you cannot get out of your mate what only God can supply. Your mate will never satisfy you. Only God can do that. Together, doing what God has put you to do. What is that in your marriage relationship? So marriage is more than being happy. Marriage is about being obedient, and obedience always satisfies. Here's the second thing. Marriage is about God. Secondly, God made your spouse just for you. God made you for each other. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 19. Notice what God does. He takes uh, Adam. Now, Adam, uh, uh, the Lord God formed the man out of the, uh, formed out of the ground, the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, and he brought them before the man to see what Adam would name them. Whatever uh, the man called each living creature, that was his name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, in contrast to what he's just done, but for Adam... No suitable helper was found. Now think about that. Why did God have Adam name all the animals? Well, for one, they needed a name, so practical. But he also did it because every animal, as it went by, every animal, as he named all the animals, Adam realized what? His aloneness. He realized in this great creation, he he was alone. But for Adam... No suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused a man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took from the man's ribs. He closed up the place of flesh. And then the Lord God made the woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, the word Esha. She shall be called Esha, for she was taken out of man. Now, the English translation doesn't even do justice to the excitement that, is, uh, that Adam is expressing there. Remember, he's been naming all the animals. And he wakes up, and he sees before him Eve, this beautiful, perfect woman. 
Think about it, literally perfect. He didn't have to pray about who he should marry. No parental approval. No in-laws. It was good. They were made for each other. And just as God made Adam for Eve and Eve for Adam, so he made you for each other. And young adults, if he desires you to be married, he has made someone just for you, and that person is worth the wait. Don't get impatient with God. Think about it. Of all the places you could have been born, you were born in an area where you met your spouse, or you went to a particular college, of all the colleges you could have, you could have gone to, or all the classes that you could have been in, all the experiences of life, all the jobs you could have had, the area you could have lived. God put you in a particular area and put your wife in that particular area, and He brought you together. And you said at one time, Isha, this is it. That's the one for me. I remember uh, when that happened for me, I was in a car with Lori's brother, and, and to get to her house, you kind of have to drive back this driveway. And so we went down this long driveway, and we crossed this little, little bridge, and I looked up, and there she was in a cut-off jeans, T-shirt, mowing the grass. <laughs> and I said, Isha, Isha. And she mows the grass, too. That is even better. <laughs> but what, what, was, what was your Isha moment? When did you look at your wife or husband and say, man, this is it. God gives that to us. And from that Isha moment, we're responsible for growing and nurturing and developing our relationships. Marriage, don't ex- they, they don't explode. There's not like one thing that causes couples to call it quits. Rather, it's, it's kind of like a slow leak. And a husband and wife don't take care of the leak, and then the marriage goes flat. And then too many couples say, well, you know what? It's just not worth it. It's too far gone. We can't repair the issues in our marriage. Two writers, secular Writers say this, keep in mind that people do not fall out of love the way they fall out of trees. Relationships decline is neither a sudden or inevitable process. When love and happiness do decline, it usually follows a steady and relentless erosion of satisfaction due to unbounded and destructive conflict. And so as a couple, we got to deal with some things in our marriage. Song of Solomon, great book about passionate love between a man and a woman. And Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15 says this. Catch for us the little, the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. These little foxes, they take little bites out of the plants and they ruin whole vineyards one little bite at a time. And just as small yet consistent Bites can ruin plants, so small yet consistent issues like jealousy or pride or selfishness or anger or refusal to communicate or abusing or using sex as a manipulative tool or reckless words that pierce like a sword or criticism or physical absence or emotional absence. All all these just take little bites out of our marriage. You see, 
Marriage is a union of two sinners. And we got to deal with the issues in our marriage. I, I just I got some news for you. I hate to break it to you. But a perfect marriage is not going to happen with you in it. It's not going to work. The little foxes have to be addressed. So what are you going to do to take care of those little things that can destroy your marriage? Marriage is about God. Marriage, uh, he made you for each other. And then thirdly, God hates divorce. It says so in Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, 16. Take heed then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. God hates divorce. Why? Why does God hate divorce? Well, first, he's the one who made you for each other. He's the one who put you together. Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, Jesus says, In the beginning he made them male and female. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. And then he says at the end of that, verse 6, Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. What God has joined together. I, I, when, when I do a wedding, I always slow down at that point and talk to the couple about the fact that you get a beautiful wedding here. You've spent months uh, planning this thing and decorating. We're going to go to a great place for your reception. You're going to go on an exotic honeymoon. That's very cool. But here's the deal. God is the one joining you together. And you cannot separate what God has joined together. And that's the most important thing happening at the wedding. God joins you together. So God hates divorce because he's the one who put you together and joined you together. And he says... What, what I've joined together, don't separate. Secondly, God expects you to keep your vows. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says this, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. Do not, do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy? Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? I can't tell you how many times I've talked to couples and they come in and, and they've been married for five years or seven years or 15 years and they say, oh, you know what? At, at the, on the wedding day, I knew it was a mistake. I don't want to say, come on. And why'd you go through with it? Why have you been here for 15 years? Don't, 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 don't rationalize your decision now by saying, well, I never should have done it in the first place. That's what this passage says. Don't let your mouth lead you. Don't protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. You made the vow. Do what God has called you to do. Remember, for better or worse, and sometimes it's worse, for richer or poor, we love the richer, sometimes for the poor. In sickness and in health, we love the health. Sometimes your spouse may be sick. Till death, us do part. Third reason God hates divorce is he knows what it does to children. And you can tell me all day long 
Well, you see, it'd be better for us to split it for the kids. We're really doing this for the kids. It'd be better for us to split up for the kids. It'd be better for us to split up than to be bickering back and forth all the time. Well, two things. No, it wouldn't be better for you to split up. And two, quit bickering back and forth all the time. Do something about your relationship to make it work before God. It's hard, right? Marriage is hard. But do the things you need to do to honor God because he put you together to do what you couldn't do by yourself. It was a great study. Uh, Wallerstein uh, is one of the researchers. Again, a secular study. They took 131 kids between the ages of 3 and 18 years old. 131 kids ages 3 and 18 years old, and they followed them for 25 years. Kids of divorced parents. Followed them for 25 years. You can read about it in here, but let me just read just a little bit about what they found. The central finding of this study is that parental divorce impacts detrimentally the capacity to love and be loved within a lasting, committed relationship. At young adulthood, when love and sexual intimacy, commitment, and marriage take center stage, children of divorce are haunted by the ghosts of their parents' divorce and frightened that the same fate awaits them. These fears, which reach a crescendo in their young adulthood, impede the developmental progress into full adulthood. Many eventually overcome their fears, but the struggle to do so is painful and can consume a decade or more of their lives. In addition to overcoming their fear of failure, they have a great deal to learn about the give and take of living with another person, about how to deal with the differences, about how to resolve conflicts. Because what did they learn from their parents? When you have a conflict, you call it quits. Don't ever think, and you guys, some of you know this firsthand. Divorce is tough on kids. And that's one of the reasons God hates it. Marriage is bigger than us. It's about God. God made you for each other. He hates divorce, but he knows we're sinners, right? And so there are two reasons given in Scripture, biblical reasons for divorce. The first one is this, uh, Matthew 19, turn there. Matthew 19, look at verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they said, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? In the next verses, Jesus says, uh, Haven't you read? In the beginning, God made them male and female. Man will leave his father and mother, uh, cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Then he says, What God has joined together, let no man separate. And then they ask him, Why did Moses command a man to give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Listen to what Jesus says. Verse 8, Moses permitted you... To divorce your wives because your hearts were what? Hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. That was not God's intent. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Whoever divorces his 
husband or wife, except for marital unfaithfulness. So there is a biblical reason for divorce, and that's marital unfaithfulness, adultery. Now, some understand this uh, to say one time, a one-time act of adultery. Others say it's repeated adultery. I believe it's the one-time act. That one-time act breaks the vow, breaks the covenant that you have made. It breaks the one flesh covenant that you have made to forsake all others. Now, having said that, having said that, we never counsel for divorce. We always counsel for forgiveness and restoration. When there is true repentance, and true repentance, by the way, is not, hey, I'm sorry I got caught. I wish I'd have covered my tracks a little better. True repentance is a brokenness before God, sorrow for sin against God first and your spouse. And by God's grace, we have seen so many marriages restored. So we're going to counsel for restoration and forgiveness. But I'm putting out the biblical view, the biblical reason for divorce. What about pornography? I don't believe pornography is grounds for divorce. It's devastating. It's degrading. It's sin. But in Scripture, it's not grounds for divorce. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The spouse... Usually the man, in this case, looking at a woman lustfully has sinned. And while that includes pornography, it goes beyond that. It's the, it's the woman at the office or school. It's the mental picture or the picture on a screen or, or on paper. And, and to be honest, let's just be honest. There is only one man who ever walked on the face of this earth who didn't sin in that way. If committing adultery in one's heart is grounds for divorce, in this case, in Matthew 5, every wife has grounds for divorce. Job chapter 31, verse 1, one of the oldest books in the Bible, Job says this, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Now, this was before the printing press. It was before uh, sensual advertising. It was before Playboy, and it was before computers and smartphones. Implied here is that Job has looked lustfully at a young woman, and now he has made a covenant. He is not making a covenant against something or for something that's not an issue for him. So this covenant he makes, he takes practical measures not to sin, and certainly we should be doing that as well. Let me show you another passage. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6, go verse 18. Paul writes to the church of Corinth, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but the one who sins sexually, what? Sins against his own body. Flee sexual Immorality. Paul uses the word there to describe various kinds of intercourse. 
All other sins, he said, are outside the body. But the person who sins in this way, intercourse, sins against his own body. Adultery, then, as grounds for divorce, I believe, is the physical act. But always, always focusing on forgiveness and restoration. There's another one, another reason. Look at verse um, chapter uh, 7 of uh, 1 Corinthians. Look at verse 10. Paul says, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a, woman must, and, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord. Now, P- Paul's not saying this isn't inspired Scripture. This is just my opinion. He's saying, Jesus, I'm not taking words that Jesus said. All right? If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he's willing to live with her, he must not divorce, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her husband. That doesn't mean they became a believer, but it means God's blessing the house through the, through the believing spouse. Look at verse 15. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances, God has get, called us to live in peace. Abandonment is the other one. Adultery and abandonment. Two biblical reasons. Now, there's a lot of stuff going on in marriages, right? And there are a lot of opinions that, that we can have. And there are a lot of emotion that goes with it. But if you look at Scripture, and if we're going to be those who follow Scripture, adultery and abandonment. What about abuse? Well, when there's abuse in a marriage... We always counsel for separation. No one should ever be required to be in an abusive situation. This situation is then handed over to the church leaders to determine counseling and also for future steps. But we've got to take that one one step at a time. I mean, all, all sin is messy, isn't it? And sin in marriage is even more messy. And sooner or later, it brings pain to us as husbands and wives, and it brings pain to our family. And in our sin, we need others to confront us, and we need others to hold us accountable. And in our pain, we need others to walk with us and give us good biblical counsel. By the way, make sure you have someone in your life who is willing to give you good biblical counsel. There are a lot of friends who will just say what they think you want to hear. And that's dangerous to have friends like that. Have friends walking with you who will confront you and let you know that you are out of line and they love you so much that they are not willing to let you play in the street. They want you to get to a place of safety and do what God wants you to do. Now, I admit that from a human standpoint, there are some issues in marriages, and from a human standpoint, you want to say, man, just chuck this thing. But that's from a human standpoint. And we don't live this thing on a human standpoint. We've got to go by God's laws. We have to go by God's guidance. He's the designer of marriage. He's the one who brought us together. He's the one who can restore. We've got to do it His way. We have great opportunities for biblical counseling here. And if you email me, 
I'll get you to the right person. Last one. So I've been divorced. I haven't been divorced, but I mean, generally speaking, I've been divorced. Now what? Here are some things. First, and this is going to be hard. This is going to be hard for some of you. But if it is at all possible, attempt to reconcile. Now we we're already divorced. If if the person has not remarried, if at all possible, attempt to reconcile. Now I know for some of you that may be out of the question. But if your former spouse is not remarried, how cool would it be if God restored that and changed your hearts and brought you back as a brand new couple that He intended you to be? Sometimes it's not possible. Two, determine what you have contributed to the divorce. We are all sinners, and we all far, are far from perfect. And, and every divorced spouse played some part in the demise of his or her marriage. Ask God to show you. Now, anyone who says it was all the other person's fault, you're not coming to grips with, with the reality of a relationship. So, what was your part in the, marriage, in the demise of the marriage? Seek God's forgiveness. Next one, seek God's forgiveness and accept His grace. Seek His forgiveness and accept His grace. I, this week on Facebook, I, I put a, I'm, uh, I'm preaching on divorce. What do I need to say and what questions do I need to answer? I got a lot of uh, response back. You can go on my Facebook and, uh, and check, the, check those out. Or I might put some of them on a blog just to see because there's some tremendous responses. But let me read you one. This is from a, a girl uh, who grew up at our church and now lives in another country. And she said this, I've been following your series from here in the country she, she's in. Uh, As someone growing up at the Bible chapel, I never thought divorce would, could happen to me, but it did. It happened in part because I rushed into marriage wanting, idolizing so much to be married. But abuse and an affair later and a man who had walked away from his faith, me, and belief in the Lord, it happened to me. The great thing is that God is a healer, an amazing provider, who meets us at our deepest point of need. I think when you talk about divorce, please consider that Jesus really gives us no option out with the concession to the affair But even then, if both spouses are believers, or even if one isn't and the other is willing to work on it, marriage should be worked out. All too often, marriage is just an out in our culture. Or sorry, divorce is just an out in our culture. I'm not proud of this chapter of my life from 2009 to 2010, but thankful now as I look back on it, knowing that God always used, also used this time to break me and draw me closer to Him. I learned this through some awesome counselor and a small group too, and I'm still learning it today. I'd also focus on the redemption aspect, that too often after divorce, a Christian woman, I would add Christian man too, feels worthless, messed up, ashamed, especially if you think it could never happen to you. Yet the Lord is more than able to turn our ashes into beauty, a story as He continues to write our story. Isn't it good?
So seek God's forgiveness and accept His grace. And He's able to turn a a hellish situation into His beauty as He continues to write your story. Here's another hard one. Seek forgiveness from your former spouse for your contribution in the marriage failure. So it was 90% his or her fault. So it was 95% his or her fault, or so you think, then own up to your 5%. And just send an email or a letter or a call and say, look, I'm really sorry for my part in the demise of our marriage. And that's all you need to say. Don't, you don't, don't worry about your form, what your former spouse says. doesn't matter. You just do what God wants you to say. You see, that's so important because you need to own up to that because here's the deal. 50% of first marriage is in, 60% of second marriage is in, and 75% of third marriage is in. It's the old country song, right? Wherever you go, there you are. You can run from yourself, but you won't get far. Next, don't jump into another relationship on the rebound. Man, how many couples have, how many people have done this? Make sure you go to divorce care. Get involved with some people who are going to, uh, going to help you heal and protect you from another relationship too soon. And last, when and if you remarry, make a commitment to do it right. Make a commitment this time it's going to last. I'm going to do it God's way. You can't change the past, but God can redeem it, and He can give you even more of a commitment to make it work this time. Marriage is bigger than us. Marriage is God's idea. He he brings us together. We have a life of investment in each other. And He says, what I've joined together, don't let anyone separate. So I'm going to show you a clip from a movie. Uh, This is a movie called The Story of Us. By the way, I do not recommend this movie, okay? Covering myself here. I do not recommend the movie. But there's a great clip at the end. So here's a deal. Uh, Bruce Willis, Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, they, um, they, uh, they go and drop their kids off at summer camp. As soon as they drop their kids off at summer camp, you know, they're acting like everything's fine, you know, uh, their marriage is in trouble. And they go back, he moves out of the house, and the whole movie, they're planning uh, their separation, they're divorcing each other, and they're going to go back at the end of the summer, and they're going to tell their kids that it's over, the marriage is over, and that they're divorcing. So that's the plan. Go back to the camp, tell the kids we're divorcing. They normally, the family tradition, when they go back and pick up their kids, is to go to a Chinese restaurant called Chow Fun's. That's the tradition. But they've agreed they're not going to go to Chow Funds this year because you can't talk at Chow Funds. It's too loud, and they got some serious stuff to talk about, so they're going to go home. So we're going to pick up this clip uh, with them loading the kids in the car and uh, check this out from a story of us. I think we should go to Chow Funds. Chow Funds. I thought we both agreed that we really couldn't talk at Chow Funds. I know. What are you saying? I'm saying Chow Funds. 
He's saying chow funds because you can't face telling the kids. Because if that's why you're saying chow funds, don't say chow funds. No, that's not why I'm saying chow funds. I'm saying chow funds because we're in us. There's a history here, and histories don't happen overnight. You know, in Mesopotamia or, or ancient Troy or somewhere back there, the, 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 there are cities built on top of other cities, but I don't want to build another city. I like this city. I know where we keep the Bactine and, 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 and what kind of mood you're in when you wake up, by which eyebrow is higher, and you always know that I'm a little quiet in the morning and compensate accordingly. That's a dance you perfect over time. And it's hard. It's much harder than I thought it would be, but there's more good than bad, and you don't just give up. And it's not for the sake of the children, but they're, oh, God, they're great kids, aren't they? I mean, God, and we made them. I mean, think about that. It's like there were no people there, and then there were people, and then, and, and, and then they grew. And I won't be able to say to some stranger, Josh, as your hands, or remember how Aaron threw up at the Lincoln Memorial. <laughs> then I'll try to relax. <laughs> Let's face it, anybody's going to have traits that get on your nerves. I mean, why shouldn't it be your annoying traits? And, and, and I'm no day at the beach, but I do have a good sense of direction, so at least I can find the beach, which is not a criticism of yours. It's just a, a strength of mine. And God, you're a good friend, and good friends are hard to find. Charlotte said that, and Charlotte's rabbit, I love the way you read that to Aaron, and you take on the voice of Wilbur the Pig with such commitment, even when you're bone tired, that speaks volumes about character, and ultimately, isn't that what it comes down to, what a person's made of? Because that girl in the pith helmet is still in here. I didn't even know she existed until I met you. And, and I'm afraid if you leave, I may, may never see her again. Even though I said at times you beat her out of me. Isn't that the paradox? Haven't we hit the essential paradox? Give and take, push and pull, yin and yang. The best of times, the worst of times. I think Dickens said it best. The Jack spread of it. He could eat no fat. His wife could eat no lean. But it doesn't really apply here, does it? I guess what I'm trying to say is, I say job was because I love you. <laughs> If you'd like to pray, there are individuals, men and women, on either side uh, underneath the cross, and they would love the opportunity to pray with you, whatever uh, your need is today. Father, we thank you that you can restore, that you sent your son Jesus Christ to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, that Jesus came to die for our sins, every one of them, past, present, future place us in an eternal relationship with you, the living God. And Father, we pray that that restoration would be applied to our marriages. We pray that we would be those who take our vows seriously. We pray we would be those who work out the uh, challenges of marriage, and it is hard, and it is challenging. We pray, Father, that we would depend on your Holy Spirit who lives inside of every believer to give us all that we need to do relationship your way. We pray, Father, for those who have gone through divorce, some still reeling 
I pray, Lord, that you would give them healing, that you would help them through this time of recovery, that you would protect them as they're going through some some difficult times right now, and you would bring true healing back to their heart. Father, I pray for anyone here who's going through some challenging times that they would put down their pride and they would seek the counseling they need so that they can be a person who years from now will celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary and grow old together. Thank you, Father, for this beautiful gift you've given us called marriage. Help us to handle that gift well and help us to never separate what you have joined together. Be with us as we go. In Christ's name, amen.